Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you'll turn over to Genesis chapter 31 this morning. And uh, we've been going through a study. It's quiet in here. That's, I guess that's a good thing. We're about to get into the Word of God. That's good. Um, but we've going, been going through a, a study entitled Life. And last week, if you weren't here, we saw some truths, I think, that uh, are very important. And it was this. First of all, you can't run to God with idols in your hand. And I think that a lot of people, even today, still try to do that. Uh, coming to God and saying, you know, I, I still want to do this in my life. I still... I want, want to still be able to do this, or I still want this, and, and you can't run to God with idols in your hand. And the other side was, if we've already given our life to Christ, we've surrendered by faith to Him, uh, then we can't run for God with idols in our hands. In other words, we can't live the Christian life effectively if we're holding on to, to stuff in this life, and they have control of our life. And, so, um, and then the second thing that we saw was such an important thing was this. You can't be driven by fleshly attributes... And, and expect spiritual blessings. So in other words, you can't be driven by envy or greed or bitterness or jealousy or malice or any of those things and then expect in your life to experience the, uh, the spiritual blessings that come from the hand of God. Again, those are fleshly things that reap fleshly uh, uh, fruit. And so again, we can't do those things. See, seeing the life of uh, Jacob at this point is Joseph's father. We're, we're looking at the lineage of Joseph and looking at this has taught us several different things. It's, it's about um, the different elements that we see in life, uh, whether it has to do with family, whether it has to do with friends, whether it has to do with things that in, in, interpose in our, in our lives or inspire us, uh, all kinds of things in this, uh, this study that we see. But um, one of the things, uh, before we get into the message this morning, is We've seen that Rachel, uh, Jacob's wife, uh, has basically been the one that has stolen the idols in this, um, uh, this journey that they're taking, or this running to God, running uh, away from trouble. She's taken these idols, and, and they've snuck out of town. And I, I want to remind you as well, if you've been here, uh, that Rachel and Leah are sisters, and they are both married to Jacob, and they are both fed up with their dad. At Laban and that's why they were like you know what yes let's go we don't we don't like him he's been bad to us now the Bible doesn't say that but that's kind of uh, a modern take of it they they felt like he had uh, taken advantage and, and taken from them their inheritance and all those kind of things and so they're over their relationship with the father uh, with their father because of the way that he's treated them and so um, uh, before we move any further than that I want to pray and then get into what uh, God has for us this morning. So let's pray and do that. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had uh, to spend already in your word this morning in Sunday school and the time of prayer uh, this morning. We also thank you for the opportunity we've had so far in this service uh, to worship you through song, to give to you, um, and to have your word read as well. And we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the liberties that we have, that we can meet here freely, uh, to be unified in your word, to be focused on you, uh, to be in, encouraged and, and maybe even convicted and challenged um, in your word. And I pray that it would affect us today as we've been praying all day 
today. Lord, that your, your word would stir our hearts, that your spirit would move freely in this place. And God, that we would respond rightly to your word. God, that we would just not come to this place to be entertained or to, to seek anything else other than to give you our lives, to be unified in your cause so that we can leave this place uh, closer to you, stronger in the faith and more effective in the work. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would move now. Use me just as, a, as an instrument, a mouthpiece for you. Uh, speak only what needs to be spoken through me, Lord. And uh, Lord, help me to w refrain anything that's not of you. We'll praise you for it, and we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in Genesis chapter 31, we're going to pick up in verse 22. If you have your Bibles there, you can follow along. Uh, we're going to be in several different scriptures today, so uh, I'm going to try to move quick to get through them. Uh, so you can follow along in the, in the screen uh, if you can't get to every single one of them. Ver verse 22 is where we pick up. It says, And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled, and he took his brothers with him, and he pursued after, after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that, that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. Now this is, that's an interesting charge that God gives to Laban in this dream that uh, Laban, again, hears three days after Jacob and, and his family are gone, he hears uh, that, you know, from God, don't say anything to Jacob. When you get there, don't say anything to him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have to wonder what would have happened to Jacob, what would have happened to Rachel, what would have happened to Leah, what happened to their whole family if God had not intervened uh, in, in this situation. If, what, what would we have known about Jacob or Joseph? Uh, some people say, well, it was, it was God's will, and so it would have still continued on. Um, I don't know, maybe. Uh, again, I think about th instances in scriptures where we see people and then we don't see them anymore. We hear about them, we don't hear about them anymore. And would it have been that case if God had not intervened? Now, I, I will say this. Regardless, we can, we can speculate all morning long, but regardless, this story and the fact that God does intervene, I believe gives us, as the people of God today, some comfort. I think it should give us a lot of comfort. And the fact that God had chosen Jacob that, that God had said, hey, go back to the land of your fathers. And now Laban, his father-in-law, is in hot pursuit of him. And yet God intervenes in this pursuit. And he tells them something that's really crazy, right? I mean, I, he, he doesn't say don't harm him. He doesn't say uh, don't, don't kill him. He says don't even say anything good or bad to him by way of his, his pursuit of him, by the way. But this is the comfort that it should give us as the children of God. There's nothing that anyone or anyone, anyone can do or anyone can say as the children of God to us that's outside of God's control. Nothing. There's nothing that can happen to us that's outside. Again, God is in absolute control. And that gives us point number one this, this morning that I want to talk about a little bit is the sovereignty of God is a comfort to every child of God. The sovereignty of God is a comfort to every child of God. Now, what does sovereign mean? Uh, you hear of sovereign kings, you hear of sovereign, uh, you know, in, in certain instances, but specifically the fact that God is sovereign. Essentially, it means this, that God is over everything. That's a, that's a blanket statement. That's, that's, it a, seems like it's simple to say, but he's above all. He's over everything. He's above all. In other words, he is in control. The Bible doesn't say these words, but it, in, in, in 
the, the context and the, and, the, and the whole counsel of God's word, we see that God is omniscient, he is omnipotent, and he is omnipresent. In other words, he's everywhere, he knows everything, and he is all-powerful. So God is over all. So now with this, we have to understand it doesn't mean that we can't or we don't use the wisdom when and where that we can use it. Uh, because we, we don't sit back and say, you know what, uh, because God's in control, nothing's going to happen to me that God doesn't allow or, or, or is outside of the God's control, his sovereignty, I'm just going to do this and, and, and hope that God cleans up the mess after me. That's not, that's not how it works, and that's not how our relationship with God works as his children. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But this is the truth. We need to remember that there's an enemy in, in our lives as the children of God that is out to destroy us. He clearly is seeking to destroy the plan of God, which includes us. It includes the church. It includes uh, you know, us trying to reach lost souls that, so that none would perish. And so when we look at this fact that, that we have an enemy, Jacob had Laban pursuing him. He was in hot pursuit of him. But we realize that we have an inner enemy in pursuit of us. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, if you and I realize that we've got an enemy on our tail, uh, we have a couple of responses in this. And again, that's what I'm going to look at this morning, is if, if we realize God's in control, and um, he, there's nothing going to happen to us that is outside of his control, and we have this enemy pursue, in hot pursuit of us as well, what do we do? How, do? how do we live our lives under the sovereignty of God, under that control? Again, not being lazy, not being foolish, not being... Um, fleshly in, 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 in this umbrella of God's sovereignty, but how do we, how do we live? How do we go day to day and, and live the life that God uh, wants us to live? Again, for Jacob, he was doing enough to mess things up. We look at his life and say, man, Jacob, yeah, God is sovereign. Jacob ha, ha, had done a lot of wrong, a lot of bad things, a lot of things that were outside of God's will, apparently. So why was God still using him why was god why how how did god still have a plan for jacob if jacob jacob had messed up so much let's talk about that in just a second but i want to say something about the the enemy because i i think we have to realize something about our enemy uh just talking about satan i mean i think i mentioned this a couple weeks ago how, how long has satan been at his game right thousands of years Satan, the enemy of God, who is also our enemy because we are on God's side if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we've been saved and born again, we're the children of God. Satan is therefore our enemy. And if he's been at it for a thousand years compared to how long we've been at this game called life, what's our chances against the enemy, right? I mean, you think about how, how good Satan is, so good that he can take a couple that didn't even know what it was to sin, let alone the pleasures of sin and on all those things, he can take a couple like that and deceive them into sinning, into disobeying the word of God, transgressing the word of God. Then what is our hope? The further that, that, that man goes along, the further away from that creation experience, even us today, thousands of years away from the death and, and the resurrection of Christ, what's our hope against the enemy of Almighty God? What's our hope against this enemy that's clearly out to seek to destroy us as a roaring lion does his prey? What's our hope? What is our hope? What, what do, and, 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 and where do we see and understand the sovereignty of God in all this? How, how, does this? how does this work? God's in control. The enemy's in pursuit. We are frail. We are helpless against the enemy ourselves. 
how do we get by? Where do we run? Where do we go? Where do, where do, we, where do we find solid ground? Where, where do we find protection? I will say this morning, if, if you're not doing this every day of your life, then the enemy is having victory in your life in his attack against you. Here's where we've got to run, to the eternal word of God. The eternal word of God. So well, that, that's, I mean, that seems so simple. But it's, it's so simple. So many people, so many Christians, I believe, neglect this as the foundation of, of who we are and where we run. Yes, to God, of course. But God is revealed to us through his word. We see who he is. We see how he works. We see his attribute. All these things in his word. And again, I, it's disheartening so many times when people are, are you know, I, I, I love that song that, that Nosh and Rachel just sang. And, 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 and so much so that it, it got me thinking about the Apostle Paul in Philippians where he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now if you were here a few years ago when I was preaching through Philippians, you realized that almost every single message before I started those messages, I reminded us as a church where Paul was writing that from. From a Roman prison. He was saying that I know how to, to, to abound, I know how to be abased, I know how to suffer loss, I know how to have, have prosperity and have nothing. I know how, how all these things, and so with all of this, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I can be in a Roman dungeon, I can, I can, I can suffer the greatest loss, and again, the song is well with my soul. If you understand the context of that song, a man who had lost his family, and in, in, in light of God's grace and God's sovereignty, and who God is, and knowing who God is through God's word, he's able to write. It's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. But it's, again, only found in the eternal word of God. In Psalms chapter 32, verse 7, the, the, the psalmist says, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Think about that. Meditate on that. Think about that, he says. I mean, God, God is our hiding place, and, and, and he will protect us from all trouble and all evil. He, he'll come past us about with songs of salvation. What an amazing thought that, that this is our God. Again, how do we know that God does these things? How do, how do we know that we can trust God when things get really bad, when we suffer the loss of everything, our whole family? How can, how can we get by? Because we know he is our God in Psalm 18, verse 1. I will love thee, o, o Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Again, if, if, if Satan is in hot pursuit of us in our life, and he's way better at what he does than we are living a victorious Christian life in our own selves, if he's really good at deceiving because he's the father of lies and, and destroying because he's come to kill, steal, and destroy, if he's so good at what he does, our only hope is to run to the rock, to run to our fortress, to, to be in the shadow of his wings, to be there and, and trust in him, calling upon him who's worthy to be saved. Because he's the one that can save us from our enemies. That's what the psalmist says, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. And so Isaiah 54, verse 7, I, I, I want to I read this because this is uh, specifically the, um, the nation of Israel and uh, God talking to the nation of Israel in uh, Isaiah chapter 54. But I want you to listen to, again, Israel being, this is fast, 
fast-forwarding a lot in, in the history of Israel. Uh, Jacob is the, the origin here that we're studying, but we fast-forward to Isaiah where, where Israel had already left uh, and, and uh, were, was away from God, rebellion. God had, had, had used the prophet Isaiah. And in here, listen what he says in Isaiah chapter 54. He says, Sing, O barren, that thou dost not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud that thou dost not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the ch children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy uh, the habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Look what he says in verse 4. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou, be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of, of thy widowhood anymore. Look what he says in verse 5. For thy maker is thy husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God. Listen, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord shall be, shall, I'm sorry, for the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of, of uh, youth when thou was refused, when thou was refused, saith thy God. For of a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with mercies I will gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains de shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of a gates, and thy gates of uh, car uh, carbon carbuncles, sorry, get it out and all thy borders of pleasant stones and thy and all thy children shall be taught of the lord and and great shall be the peace of thy children in righteousness thou shalt be established thou shalt be far from oppression for thou shalt not fear and from terror for it shall not come near thee but behold they shall surely gather together but not by me whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake Behold, I've created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that's formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Listen, there is nothing... Again, if, if the children of Israel are, are the chosen nation of God and, and, and they, so, they so departed from God, they so strayed from, from God's will and from his presence that God himself said, listen, my loving kindness, I will not always leave you alone. I'll always turn my back. I will, I will bring you again to myself. And you have to realize I'm the maker. I'm the God of everything. And there's nothing that anyone can do to you because I'm your God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Matthew chapter, eight, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I'm, I'm meek 
and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus, again, God talking in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, after he had commissioned his disciples to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples of, of all nations, he says this, and know this, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to depart from you. I'm with you forever. First John chapter 4, verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Our God, who is sovereign, who is over all, has promised these things to his people, to us. Now, even with this, we also have to consider there's things that God obviously allows into our lives. As his children, there's things, there's seasons we go through, trials, valleys, all these things, and even attacks from the enemy that God allows in his sovereignty. And sometimes... We can't answer the question of why. Why did, why did God allow that? Why did God do this? Why did I have to go through this? Why did we have to deal with this? If God is sovereign and his love and his mercy and his grace and his power is unending and he knows everything and he knows all of our frame, he knows all of our life, he, he has absolute power. Why in the world would God allow certain things to happen to his children. Why do we even have to deal with it? I think that we are skewed in our culture, this culture that has, has spoiled us and, and, and made us make an idol of comfort and make an idol of pleasure. This, this culture we come from and we say that, that it must be good with me all the time as far as physically speaking. We, we have that mindset. And so whenever we go through anything, We struggle to run to the rock, to rely on him, to say, you know what? It is well with my soul. Even in the midst of this, it's well with my soul. Again, our foundation, our frame of reference, where we come from can't be our spoiled, comfortable, uh, idol-driven, uh, high-place-driven lifestyle that we've made for us in America. It can't be that. Our frame of reference, our foundation for every trial, for every struggle, for every test, for every day of our life must be the character and the person of God as seen in the Word of God. That's it. How can some people go through such great trial and great travesty and, and seem like every day of their life be a struggle and have burden upon burden and trial upon trial and yet still lose everything like Job, lose, lose all their family like uh, Horatio uh, Spafford? Yeah, um, lose everything and still say, it's well with my soul. How? Where do they get that from? The Word of God. The reality is this, if we have any other foundation or any other well that we draw from, be, be it life experiences, family, friends, or whatever, if, if we go to, to that as our frame of reference or our well of source, all those things, if that's what we do, I, mark this down 100%, every single time you will be discouraged, if not ultimately grow weary and faint and give up and be destroyed in this life, defeated in this life. Every single time. 
I'm going through this. I need to talk to my mom. I need to talk to them. This is good to seek counsel. counsel. But who we should run to, who, should, who we should rely on, our rock, our, our, shore, our sword, our shield, our buckler, all of that should be our God found in the word of God. So I believe this foundation of the character of God in our lives revealed through the word of God is absolutely vital for us to remember at all times. Not just when things are bad, not just when, when we, no, every single day I have to have God's strength. Every single day I have to go to his word and re, be reminded of his character, be reminded of the great things, uh, the great God that he is and the great things he's capable of. Every single day I've got to go there. That's what has to be our frame of reference. It's where we can get that we can stand and say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. It's where we get and where we can stand even if he doesn't deliver me from this fire, I will not bow. That's where we get it. That's where we can get the strength from in our lives. It's where we can get and we can stand as our Lord said, nevertheless, not my will. If this cup be, can pass from me, then, then let it be, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's where we get it, from the word of God, from the strength that is our only strength in this, in this life. And with all of this, every single bit of it, we must know that the path of obedience to Jesus Christ, this life that we're supposed to be living, this life of obedience, this process of God sanctifying us through us walking in the Spirit and obedience to his word, this process is a path that's a path of struggle. Again, everything that we look at in Scripture does, never guarantees us in this life that it's going to be ease and comfortable and, and, and wonderful. Now, we have spiritual blessings that are only found in obedience to the Word of God. But we're never told that it's going to be easy in this life. Jesus, our Lord, again, walked the path before us. He, he came to this earth and he lived this life before us to pay for our sins, not his but to pay for our sins. He endured the contradictions, Hebrews says, uh, of sinners against himself, and, and he faced the despising shame on our behalf. He did all of it. Who are we to think that we wouldn't walk a similar path of struggle as our Lord? Who are we to think that, that Jesus did all of this for me, and yet in my life, I, everything is supposed to be a bed of roses every day. No struggles, no attacks, no, 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 no fear, nothing. There, there's to be nothing in my life but, but amazing fields of, of flowers and, and lovely smells and, and, and health and wealth. And, where do we get that from? The path of obedience to the Lord is a path of struggle. Jesus told his followers in John 16, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Not, not in the world, not in stuff, not in comfort, not in anything else. I, I've given you my word. That's the word, incarnate word, speaking the word to his followers, telling them, here's your source. Here, here's where you're going to get what you need in this life is in me. He says, these things I've given you, I've spoken to you my word so that you will have peace in me. In the world, this is what the world will give you. You'll have tribulation. You'll have struggle. You'll have difficulty. You'll have those, a difficult life in this world. But don't let it get you down, he says. Don't be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And you, you, you have too. If you're in me, 
One day, you're going to be taken out of this world. It's not the end of your, your, your life. This is just a temporal season where I want you to be light, where I want you to be salt, where I want you to give the gospel that, I, that has delivered your life to those that are in darkness so that the God of this world can't blind their minds anymore. That's why you're here. That's why you go through the struggle, because it's a dark world. It's a dark world full of sin, and you're a light. You don't fit in. You're a foreigner. You're a sojourner just passing through. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said that it was a light affliction. A light affliction. And it was for a moment. And this light affliction works for us far more exceeding weight of glory for us. So don't look at the things that are seen. Don't look at the temporal realm, but look to the things that are eternal, that aren't seen. Now again, I want to say this. Absolutely, 100%, there's nothing that can happen to us without God's permission. As his children, he is absolute, sorry, he, there's nothing that can happen to us, whether we are walking in obedience or whether we, we stray in disobedience, God is sovereign. But we must remember, again, as I said earlier, this does not excuse foolishness in light of this truth. In other words, we don't say, well, because God's over, I'll just do whatever I want to do, and God, hey, God will take care of me. No, that's foolishness. We don't run our race foolishly and say things like, well, it worked out for Jacob. Jacob was so far off, and yet God still chose him and used him. So I, I guess I can just kind of live my life, and if God wants to use me, he'll use me. That's ridiculous logic, and that's ridiculous theology. You can write those notes down right there. Ridiculous logic and ridiculous theology. Because that's not how it works. Nowhere in Scripture does it work like that. Not right. Romans chapter 15, verse 3 says this, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. He said, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. It's through what's written. It's the Word of God. It's where we run to. It's, it's our strength. Jesus Christ took upon the reproach upon himself for those that were reproaching God. And he says, look, Paul says, look, so the things that were written before were for us. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I just want to read the first 11 verses, so follow along with me because this is, it's, it's important. Again, context is important. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you, would, you should be ignorant. So don't be ignorant. How that all our fathers were under a cloud and all passed through the sea, were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, did all drink the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Now again, can we just do whatever we want to do? And God, you know, God saw, you know what, it's, it's no. Look, many of them, God was not well pleased because they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now look what he says in verse 6. These things were written for our examples, for this purpose, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. See, they lusted after flesh, and God said, okay, fine, there you go. And it cost them. There was, there was, there was, there was a correction, there was repercussion, there was chastisement. There were those things, and the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian believers right now that the things that were done and now written down were written so that we today would have the example before us that you can't just do whatever you want to do. 
You can't lust after evil things the, the way they lust. Neither be idolaters. Remember, you can't run to God with idols in hand. As were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. To know that you're outside of the will of God, to know that you're doing wrong, to know that you're, you're making foolish decisions that's not led of the Spirit, which is always aligned with the Word of God, to do that and say, well, God is sovereign. If he's going to use me and he's going to bless me, he's going to do it anyways. No, that's, abs- again, that's, that's ridiculous logic and ridiculous theology. It doesn't match up with the Word of God. We're written, these things were written so that we would know, look, we don't need to tempt the Lord in our disobedience and our foolishness. When others who have gone before us and maybe made the mistakes, that's like with, with our kids, right? Some of us made, made mistakes when we were younger. Do, do, do we glory in the fact that we made those mistakes with our kids? No, we don't want our kids to go down the same path, right? Some people have the, a, a skewed mentality. Well, they're going to learn for themselves. Teach them not to go down that path that you went. You know, that's, that's foolishness. That's a, that's a bad logic. That's bad theology. Bad thought process. Neither murmur ye. Hey, let's do that. You know, I know some churches, they, they, well, we're going to do that today. Let's do verse 10. Let's all say those first three words together. Neither murmur ye. Do it again. Neither murmur ye. Hey, that's not that hard, is it? Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Again, he says in verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for samples. Look at these next words. And they are written for our, our admonition. That's why they're written down. For our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Again, God gives wisdom. He offers it to his children. And that wisdom, please listen, is worthy to be used. That wisdom is, if God gives wisdom, if, if, look, hey, here's something that God is going to give you. God is, is willing to give you. It's from all-powerful God. It's from all-wise God. If God gives you wisdom, it's worthy to be used. Why would we discount, discredit, or, or, or refuse the wisdom that comes from God? That would be foolish. And so point number two this morning is seeking, the seeking of God's wisdom should be a daily pursuit of every child of God. And so why is that such an important point? Because again, as we see in our study with Jacob, the one who God has called, the one who God has chosen, we see with him there has been no calling on God. There has been no faithful pursuit of God, no faithful pursuit of God's wisdom in any of this. Jacob absolutely is running to where God told him to run and go back to the land of your father. But why is he doing it? He's running in fear. And we'll see this in another message. But that's what's driving Jacob. Not God's wisdom. Not, not God's call. Not, not what God has said. He's not seeking God. He's doing it in fear. He's doing it the way that he thinks he should do it. Again, Scripture tells us in James chapter 1 about God's wisdom. It's very simple. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. God will give you the wisdom that you need for everything in this life. If you ask him, look what the promise is. It shall be given to him. Here's where we miss the mark. So many times. 
It's a promise of God. If we lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He'll, he gives to all men liberally who ask him. And he doesn't abrade. He doesn't chastise you. He doesn't correct you for asking him for wisdom. When you need wisdom in life, he doesn't ever say, what's wrong with you? You've been a Christian for this long. And you're asking, God doesn't do that to us. He says, if you ask me for wisdom in the moment that you need it, if you go back to the very beginning of that, we realize that we go through trials for a reason so that we become this complete man. This complete Christian. And so in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of, uh, 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 of these things, he says, if you lack wisdom in your life, and, and specifically in the trial, in the struggle, then ask God, and he'll give it to you. He'll give you as much as you need. He, it's a promise. He'll give it to you. Here, again, here's where we go wrong. Ready? We want to ask for it today and receive it today. That's the way it is. So I ask God for wisdom, and I don't, I, I'm still as blank today as I was yesterday when I asked it. I have no clarity. Have, 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 I don't feel like God's given me any wisdom at all. But this is, what, this is the, the issue. God wants us to pursue him. He wants us to seek him with all of our heart. He wants to, to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and he will fill us with, with, with his righteousness. He, he wants us to seek his wisdom and ask for his wisdom not for our own lust, not for our own life and will, but for his will. And we have to surrender in this to his time. So God, I need your wisdom. Tomorrow comes, I don't feel any wiser. I don't feel like God has rained down any wisdom in this circumstance. I still don't know what to do. Keep asking. Maybe you need to start seeking more. Maybe you need to start knocking desperately. God, I have to have your wisdom. I don't want to take a step. I don't want to do a thing. I don't, I don't want to make decisions. I, I don't want to change jobs. I don't want to, I don't want to go here. I don't want to do that. I, I, I want your wisdom and only your wisdom to be the factor that I make decisions from. Again, if God gives wisdom, why would we not use it? If he promises, I have wisdom to give you, and if you'll ask it, I'll give it to you as much as you need. Why would we not Wait for something that precious and, and priceless. Because we live comfortable American lives that we have to have it in our time. Well, I need to make a decision by this day. Okay, well, what if you don't have, you, you feel like you don't have God's wisdom in this? Well, I, I guess I'm going to make a decision and see what happens. <laughs> wow. I guess I'm going to jump in the, the ocean. I don't know if I can swim or not, but we'll see if I make it, you know. But he does give a little bit of a, a factor here. He says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Because he that is, wavereth is like a, a wave of the sea driven in, in, with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he should receive anything of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, it says, the Lord gives wisdom, and out of his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. And look what it says. He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. It, it's right wisdom. It's accurate wisdom. It's the kind of wisdom that we need in application. It's not just some lofty, you know, uh, uh, Gnostic thing, something that's in our mind that we know of. It's an applicable wisdom that God gives. He says he lays this up for us to use in our life, and he's a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Again, it's interesting to me, with all of this, 
that this sovereign God stops Laban from speaking evil or good to Jacob, right? That's what he told him in a dream. Don't, don't say anything bad. Don't say anything good to him. He stops him and tells him, this is what I don't want you to do. But I want you to consider this this morning. Why didn't he just stop Laban altogether? He's sovereign. God had called Jacob. God had told, hey, the, uh, get back to your land of your fathers. Jacob's not doing it in pursuit of God. He's not doing it in the wisdom of God. He's not doing it according to the way that God wanted him to do it. He's doing it out of fear. So he runs back, and, he, and he's starting to run. And God's like, all right. Now Laban gets mad. Laban chases after him, finds out that his idols have been stolen. And God says, hold up, Laban. Don't do nothing. Don't, don't say anything evil or good to him at all. Why didn't God just say, you know what? I'm going to let their chariots and all their horses and all Laban and his brothers go over a gorge and destroy all of them. Why didn't he just, in their pursuit across the wilderness or whatever, rain down fire and brimstone and just destroy Laban and their caravan traveling after Jacob? Why didn't God intervene like that? You ever think about that? Like, again, we, we go through things in our lives. Sometimes we think, why did God allow this? If God could have just said, no, this is not happening. You're not, this is not going to happen to you. This, these are my children. I'm not going to allow it. What, why, did, why did God ultimately just, just say, you know what? No, you're gone. You're destroyed. No, he didn't do that. He came up and he said, don't say anything evil or, or good to him. And not just that, but he actually allows Laban to catch up with Jacob. And not just allows him to catch up with Jacob, but to have an interaction with Jacob, his wives. Think about that. Like God, sovereign, allows these things. As a side note, think about this. I was talking to, I think, Brother Jaron this week uh, about this. Isn't it ironic that Laban was pursuing Jacob because they had stolen his little gods? So why is that ironic? Can deity be stolen? You get it? Like he's so worked up that his idols, that his gods are, have been stolen, but if they're truly God, can they be stolen? <laughs> you know, I mean, what a, what a foolish pursuit. What, what a foolish passion that he had. Can, can the true God be stolen? Again, if they're man-made, if they can be put on a shelf, then I guess. But the God that's the only true God, the Bible tells us he's not made with hands. And he can't be put on a shelf. But he's eternal, and he's powerful, and he's worthy of our daily pursuit. And his wisdom is worthy of our daily pursuit. But it does make me wonder, what if our idols in our lives, because let's be honest, many of us have idols. They may be our kids. They may be our kids' activities. That may be a sport, it may be a hobby, it may be a possession, but we've made them idols. Let's just be honest before the Lord this morning. I said, I don't know that they're actually idols. What if they were taken from you? What if you couldn't? What if you couldn't go there and do that? Is it an idol? What if it was even something for the Lord?
versus God himself. I pray that we don't have little G's, little gods that we're pursuing in place of the one and only God. I pray that, that there's nothing more important to us in our life than him, period. Again, I shared this recently. You're going to have all this world. Just give me Jesus. That's where we all need to be. We look at our text as we get ready to close in verse 25. Laban overtook Jacob. Again, he, that means he caught up with him. God allowed him to catch up with him. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in, in, in the mount, and Laban with his brethren uh, pitched in the mount of Gilead. Now I, I, I want to remind us we've established that God's in complete control. There's not anything that can happen to us. We've established that God's wisdom is something that every single child of God should pursue every single day. And again, we've asked the question, why did God allow Laban to catch Jacob at all? Why did this, why did this even happen? Why was he able to overtake him? Why was he able to catch up with him in this? I believe grace. Whoa, wait a second. You, you, you believe that, that God allowed Laban to catch up to Jacob instead of just destroying him because God's gracious. I would think it'd be the opposite. That, that if, God's, if it was God's grace that was inter, uh, intervening in this situation, that again, God would just destroy Laban and there would never have been an interaction. Now, I believe that the reason why God allowed Laban to catch up and have this interaction with Jacob, the called, the chosen one of God, that would be the nation of Israel, why he let this happen is because it's God's grace. It's all God's grace. But specifically something that is afforded to Jacob in the grace. You know what Jacob was afforded in the grace of God in this opportunity? It was just that, an opportunity, a chance. God had given Jacob a chance that he didn't deserve. God had, God had given Jacob an opportunity that he didn't deserve. He was running in fear. He had, he had messed up. He had, he had oh yeah, he was going back to where God said, no, he was not pursuing God. He was not pursuing the wisdom of God. But God gives Jacob a chance in allowing Laban to catch up with him. And this morning, I believe this is exactly what God still wants from us in our pursuit of him. This pursuit of faith for God. When I came back from um, college uh, at, at Tarleton from pursuing my baseball dream, I enrolled in TCJC, and I was determined to have a good, successful, stable career. And the talk around that, that time was uh, technology, was where the jobs were, technology uh, was where the money was going, and specifically computer programmers. And so as a young 19-year-old, um, I didn't pray, I didn't seek God, I didn't pursue God's wisdom. I wasn't in pursuit of what God wanted. And so I, I said, sign me up. Computer programmer, I'll be it. You know, if I'm not going to play baseball, if I'm not going to do these things, then I will be a computer programmer, have a good, long career, and be able to have stable uh, and, and, and be okay in these things. Guess what? It didn't take very long. It took about two or three classes for me to, not weeks, two or three classes for me to realize this wasn't it. <laughs> this is not the career that I need to be in. It was very apparent whenever everybody else in the class was, was seemingly able to make zeros and ones, 
make a stick figure walk across the computer screen. I was, so, I was saying, I had like a, a long bar. Like, not like a stick figure. I was like, something is wrong. I'm not getting something because I, mine, mine's a log. It's not even a stick, and it's not moving. It's not doing anything. And so, uh, okay, not a programmer. I moved my major, changed my major to two or three different medical field disciplines and uh, never at complete peace either. But like in our study here, God didn't stop me in my tracks. He didn't, the door wasn't locked to the counselor's office every single time I went. The, uh, the, the, you know, the sidewalk didn't split as I was trying to walk to the administration building. Um, God didn't have somebody walk up to me and say, stop, you know. Don't go change your major. That didn't happen. He didn't send an angel to say, hey, knucklehead. Because I think, I think angels could say knucklehead. <laughs> hey, knucklehead, you're going the wrong direction. Now, again, he could have. He could have done all those things. I, I believe 100% God could have split the sidewalk. He could have made a, a gorge I couldn't cross. He could have locked the door. He could have done all those things. He could have sent somebody in my life to put his finger in my face and say, stop going the direction you're going and start seeking God. He could have done all those things, but he didn't. He wanted from me what he wanted from Jacob and what he wants from you. To seek him. To pursue him. And not just in a moment of need, not just in a moment of desperation, not just when we need the answer, not just in those times that we say, God, I need relief. God, I need help. God, I need deliverance. God, I need a clear answer. God, I need you to, to intervene, not just in those moments, but at all times, every day, day by day, pursuing and relying on God and relying on his wisdom alone. That's what God wants. Jesus gave the example in what we call the Lord's Prayer, and, and it's amazing that, that Brother Jeffrey was talking about this morning. Did you, do you hear the words in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Not our weekly bread, not our monthly bread, not our yearly bread. Give us today what we need because we're relying on you today for everything we need. A daily pursuit, a daily trusting in Him. As our musicians come this morning, I, I hope that you're challenged, I hope that you're encouraged this morning with these points, these, the, we have to take these points and apply, see a lesson from, from about 3,700 years ago that God used in, 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 in Jacob's life and in the nation of Israel and mankind's history, the people of God's history, our legacy. And as Paul told the Romans and he told the Corinthians, let's look back to that and say, you know what? I can learn something. First of all, I need to have the foundation of the word of God. He needs to be the one I run to. He is my rock. He's my strength. He's sovereign. He needs to be the one that when I go through things, I don't question him because I know him. He, when, when, I, when I deal with, with, with frustration, I deal with loss, and I deal with hurt, and I deal with heartache, and I, uh, uh, with, with disappointment, I deal with all these things, I don't ever get bitter at God. I never question God. I never want to run away from his church. I never want to run away from, from living for him because I know him. I walk with him. I pursue him. That's, that's what the Word of God needs to be to us. That's who God needs to be to us. And, and because of that, we make it a daily pursuit of Him and His wisdom in our life. Again, not just when things are bad. Not just when your health fails you. Not just when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. 
Not just when you don't know what class to take or what, what, what direction to go. Every day, God, you are my God. And I will, I will ever seek you. I will ever seek you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, as I've prayed already, I pray that this would be my life. Lord, I, I don't want to run to anything or anyone other than you. You are my rock. You are our rock. You are God. No one else is worth pursuing you in absolute faith. You, you are the only one worthy of that. And I pray that we would do that every day. That we look to you, we turn to you, we rely on you. God, we know that your promises are true, that you cannot lie. So we know that you'll give us what we need, that you'll protect us, you'll deliver to us, what we, again, what we stand in need of. And Lord, I pray that you'll just work in this invitation. Lord, help us to respond rightly. Even if it was shared earlier, we realize that you came and you died so that we can have a relationship with you. You made the way. Your blood was shed, but you rose again, defeating death, grave. If there's someone here today that has never experienced the new life, they've never experienced a, a change in their life, they've never put their faith in you because of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would move today, that they would, they would respond. And they would come forward, and they would ask somebody, what do I have to do to be saved? How can I have a relationship with God? I want to go to heaven when I die. Tell me how I can do that. I pray that you'd move them this morning if there's someone here like that. Lord, just move now, and we'll praise you for what you do. We ask it all in Jesus' name.